Welcome to Service Stories, a podcast where AmeriCorps VISTAs, or volunteers in service to America, share their experiences in Philadelphia schools and nonprofits. We'll explore the ins and outs of a year in the life of a VISTA member and what they've learned along the way. Join Sarah and Sarah on their quest to find out how does service shape the lives of different people. Service Stories a podcast created by volunteers about volunteers. In this week's episode, we speak with Rain Phillips, who served at Strawberry Mansion High School as a VISTA from 2019 to 2020. She's gone on to provide mobile therapy services for children and youth in West Philadelphia and is a social worker for One Bright Ray Adult Mansion Campus. Hi, everyone. We're back again. Sarah here and other Sarah. Hello. <laughs> Today we're joined by Rain. Hi, Rain. Hi. How are you? Good morning. Mm-hmm. Doing well today. Um, we like to start off by having whoever we're interviewing just introduce themselves and say where they served. Okay. So, hi, everyone. My name is Rain Phillips. Um, MSW, LSW, <laughs> I served at Strawberry Mansion High School during my time as a Fend Fellow Vista. Cool. And um, we kind of like to start by asking like what you knew about Vista or Fend before. I know you have a lot of connections to Fend previously. Um, mm-hmm. so talk about that as well. So I, so first, Fend was the basically my first job out of undergrad when I graduated from like so I graduated from Arcadia in 2014 May of 2014 and then I was um I had a very brief stint in a graduate school program at Arcadia and it just wasn't what I wanted to do like long term like there was no career trajectory like for me like in that program um not to say that i didn't learn like a lot of interesting things but i withdrew from that program uh and i started working at fend as the avid program coordinator um i became to know about fend during my senior year of college and that was through um my predecessors who was the she was the K through 16 partnerships coordinator, but she was also the avid program um, coordinator. Uh, and sorry, I was the avid tutor my senior year of college. I served at Lincoln High School um, and it was a really great time. It was a fun time. And when I was leaving Arcadia, like I just gave Liz a call um, and I was just trying to figure things out. And Fend was literally I wouldn't say it's like it wasn't my first introduction to like nonprofits because it wasn't, but Send was literally it gave me an opportunity to see nonprofits, but nonprofits in education in a completely different capacity and light. Um, it's not just the programs that we rush kids into and sign them up for. Um, and it kind of like led me to consider social work because I was also considering law school like around that time. Um, so it's like I've there's if there's one thing that I I can't say about myself is that there's nothing you can't do. 
So that's the general message right now to people. There's nothing you can't do. Um, and I, what I knew about AmeriCorps, I was a, I did AmeriCorps state. So like where you were part-time and you do like a project for a certain amount of hours. That's what I did um, with Abbott as a tutor, but also with incarcerated voices. Like I did my projects and um, finished my hours. But what I knew about AmeriCorps VISTA, um, I actually learned a lot about that program in my time at FEND because in my time at FEND, they also had a school-based VISTA, um, school-based VISTAs. And I think they were just beginning to have like 440 VISTAs. This is when the cohort was like much smaller than it is now, like now it's just growing. Um, and I knew that it was similar. It was similar to what I did in undergrad because again, it's by volition, it's something that you volunteer to do um, and that you receive a stipend for. But what I thought was cool about VISTA was it was more project-based, right? Like it's very specific to the needs of the site. Whereas doing it before an undergrad, it was kind of like, as you go along, like you see the need there, but it's more, you know, your ideas um, and kind of like your autonomy, kind of like a, a internship project or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would definitely say probably like an internship or like a capstone project almost uh, was the experience doing it undergrad. But what was the appeal for AmeriCorps VISTA um, was that, oh, this is a position basically that any organization would need to have full time, but they don't really have the funding for it to, for full time yet. Um, so it's a great stepping stone. Um, and I think it's also an amazing opportunity to just, you know, give back and use your skill sets when you can. Uh, and at the same time, I knew some people did it for their gap year. Some people did it to, you know, kind of figure things out. Um, and some more non-traditional VISTAs, like they worked in a different capacity and then wanted to switch gears. And that was the, usually like the best way for them to do it. So... Mm -hmm. You mentioned kind of like doing it all and you have these different experiences with national service um, and within like education and social work. How do you feel your experience in direct service kind of complemented or did it not complement your indirect service mm. as a VISTA? I would say as a VISTA, it's definitely, it's hard. Like it's a, it's a little bit harder because that's more, that's, it was definitely more macro level type social work. And that's literally where you see the population, but you don't actually like work with the students one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and that does kind of like, you can be creative, but at the end of the day, like it is difficult because there's just certain conversations that you would ideally want to have with students or clients and like implementing a program or propelling something forward and, and getting the investment and commitment um, of just not even like students, but like everyone that you're working with. Um, I would say that direct service complemented it because you're essentially, you're reminded actually like of what the needs are. It's like what needs are on paper, versus mm -hmm. like what the people who are going to receive it are actually telling you. And one of the things I've learned is sometimes it's aligned and some, uh, oftentimes it's not aligned, you know, with the actual needs um, of the students or at least like what they say their needs are. Like, so there's, you know, 
perceived needs and then there's expressed needs. Um, and when you're thinking about what someone, what not even, per, so like perceived needs or what us observing the observation, like the, the, what us observing the population um, would say that they are, but then like what someone is actually like telling you and like expressing to you, those are like two different things. Um, I also hope I didn't switch those up because those were the two things at grad school, like everyone switched up. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely like working in direct service. It, it was more um, in terms of like, like status, like satisfaction, like it made difficult days easier because like when working with the person, it's like that human understanding where when you think of a system, like a system doesn't really have those humanistic qualities um, to go from day to day to the point where like, you don't really get to have a bad day. Uh, and at the same time, it's like, you know, not all of your ideas will be accepted. Um, even if you know that, you know, like beyond a reason of a doubt, like, and it's not just based on feeling it's based on education. It's based on practice. Um, what the most efficient or effective solution is like sometimes people just don't care um and they don't want to hear that so it's it's learning to navigate that uh, or rather like i can't i don't really want to say like accept that but it's just a lot of learning to readjust um mm -hmm. your energy into places like where you can so where you can where you can make the kind of or the, impact. Like the impact that you're looking for yeah. did you did you find in your school um there was a lot of those com or those things happening as far as like perceived needs versus expressed needs what was that like in so your it was, school? i think it was more like there were so many needs mm. and like not a lot of capacity to like manage them um, but also like not a lot of capacity to just clearly have the goals and objectives like outlined. It's just like, you know, if you, or just even understanding like what partners could give, what they can't give. Right. Like, do you even really know what you're asking for? Um, was a big challenge. Um, because like, you just can't ask for like everything under the sun and like burn your partners out. You have to realize that people coming to the table who want to help sometimes they want to help in a very specific way um whether that's you know a personal reason or it's like they have their own goals and objectives like outline that they have to fill and it's often a lot of coming in between um i don't think there was a lot of like coming in between in my experience at my site um but i did i can't say that i didn't learn anything from like what it's like to work from a like very highly efficient organization and then coming into an organization or a school site where there's so many different transitions which is the one that's like most important and that's like out of my realm to like prioritize what aspect of functioning is most important and then you'll find in some cases that like you know, it's, it's just not happening, like, all around. Um, and that's usually, like, indicative of, like, the management or the management style. And that's something that you can't change. Um, I definitely mm -hmm. believe that you, you cannot change the culture and practices of, like, an organization. Like, administration has to be willing to make 
those changes. Um, and oftentimes people and, you know, not just VISTAs, but people in the helping professions burn themselves out thinking that if they put more hours in or they put more efforts in, there's only so much readjustment that you can do um, to kind mm -hmm. of deflect the realities that are happening. Talking about self-care, was it, I mean, I think it's like an ongoing practice definitely for everyone. Was it something that you felt you had to focus on this past year? Did you already kind of have experience building your toolkit for self-care? I would definitely say it was something that I had to focus on more, but it was at the, on the same side of that coin, <laughs> not even the other side. Um, it was something that I had already begun practicing. So, and just being very intentional and very serious about, um, because I definitely, I learned the hard way in grad school, because when you're hearing about self-care, because they would, I mean, I would say Rutgers <laughs> did a really good job at it and just trying to have like workshops where people could talk about it in every class. Like it was something that was spoken about. Um, and I, rem I remember like myself and like many of my classmates just being like, really blase about it because it's like what do you mean like self-care and you we have to write like three papers that are like x <laughs> amount of pages each and like do all these readings and you know still show up to your practicum and, and still show up for work um or work is the practicum and it's a completely different role um it was something i learned the hard way to take seriously so when i was in this space where i didn't have a choice it was literally just like you're gonna sink or you're gonna float like what are you going to do? Like, I know, like, I know who I am. I know that I am someone who is a lifelong learner. I'm someone who is learning to say no to certain things that I know just won't serve me. But even with that, like, you know, right now, I still, I'm a, a student. Um, I am, you know, a social worker still in high school and I am like a, a mobile therapist. So it's like, I'm still doing three things. And then while managing yourself, like it's all really difficult. So when people hear the word self-care, they see it as this thing that is overwhelming and out of reach because we connect it to what we view as the pinnacle of like self-care. And that's usually something extravagant, like a vacation, um, mm. like get, getting away. Uh, but it's really, it's about how you've set up your life and how you are able to manage care. Sometimes self-care is something so basic as just, you know, my, one of my like baselines is at least preparing one meal for yourself, right? And that doesn't mean that, you know, because we're in we're in COVID, we're still in a pandemic, um, that everything that I eat when I'm at home, it's all made, like it's all like made that I made it. But I take time to have one meal that I prepare fresh, like every day. And that's usually dinner. Um, and then self-care is, you know, making sure you took a shower, making sure you got ready. Sometimes self-care, like if you don't have anywhere to go, like sometimes not rushing into that routine is your self-care. Um, for the day. It's about protecting your peace and your energy and, you know, in a work setting, in a work environment um, that's trying to, like, not get involved into the cliques and the politics because uh, it can and it will, you know, eat you up. Um, Self-care is sometimes just, like, 
hanging out with like the closest, like one of your closest friends. Um, I'm also a big advocate for therapy and having that space for yourself where you talk to someone. Um, and I know that like the cost is like difficult because um, kids therapy is expensive. Uh, therapy is something that's not covered by everyone's insurance providers. Um, you know, finding a community behavioral health organization, like that's still a struggle. And even the process of getting into therapy is a struggle. It's a long wait. You have to be, I don't even, I don't like to even say you have to be incredibly patient because that person is already, you know, patient because they're engaging in this process, but it takes so much out of you before you've even started. Um, but it's definitely something worthwhile. Um, and then understanding that sometimes just because you start, it might not be the right person and you have to start all over again. Um, so that's definitely like a different range of like what I view self-care. And as somebody who's extroverted, one of the things I've learned is the best self-care for me sometimes when my weeks are really busy um, is to like be isolated, not just like, like isolated in my room, but like just go and do something that you enjoy by yourself. Um, learning to be comfortable like with yourself and with your feelings is a really radical form of self-care and really unpacking why you feel the way that you feel um yeah so mm. I feel like you mentioned like saying no and boundary setting as also kind of a form of that it is um, of that self-care which is like very very valuable do you feel like um that was something that you learned to implement a lot more like with your school and with FEND or was that something you felt like you already kind of brought? I feel like, and it was just, <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like it's definitely, it's, it's something that I probably captured at the tail end mm. of grad school. Um, because like some side note, like I was, uh, I was going to graduate in 2018 um, mm. from Rutgers and I was just like not in a good space, not in a good place. Mm. Uh, so it's like all my major requirements were like done and I just like had this one class that was an incomplete that I couldn't finish um, and I like was fortunate enough that like the dean had just like reached out to me that fall and she was just like why don't you just come back and mm. stay the class with us you know in the spring so I did that but even throughout that time like the space that I was in I really couldn't open a book and enjoy it for like six months and I don't even mean like a book for learning I mean like leisure mm -hmm. um and I had just like around like that fall like that summer period and that fall period I started like going back to therapy like actively and it was really hard and it was really difficult because you're you're putting I don't want to say you're putting yourself on trial but you're putting yourself in the spotlight and like in a position where you have to talk about like things that you did and things that you allowed that brought you to where you're at and sometimes where it's never it's not always a bad thing that brings us you know like that leads you to a nervous breakdown um, or that leads you to burnout it's sometimes just trying to be so helpful and trying to be so supportive of things and people that just aren't serving you and I know some someone might think like oh saying that it, it's going to serve you like that's so selfish and it's just like no, yeah it's self-preservation like you mm -hmm. should be focused on preserving 
the the necessary aspects of yourself in doing this work because you have to give so much and if you're constantly just giving 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 and you don't give to yourself or it doesn't you know provide you with fulfillment then what are you left with i think one of the things that i took away you know when i was wrapping up grad school and one of my professors um her name's Marla Blunt Carter. She's awesome. What she said to me was, she said, I want you, like people focus so much on happiness um, and she leading a life full of happiness, but she was like, happiness is temporary. I think it's important that you lead a life that is full of joy. And it's like considering like what joy means to you and like what like joy means to you, not just in your social life and in your personal life, but also in your personal, not your professional life. Um, mm. This other the piece because we we're often taught that we live um, you that we that we live to work meaning that we are our jobs like this place defines us it will tell us who we are but it like you actually work to live and even with that being said like you work to be able to have access to certain things um, and to provide yourself with certain things. And it's eight, it's, you know, first it's, it could be either eight hours of your day, four hours of your day, for some of us, maybe 12 to 18 hours, like, yeah. of our day. Um, but I think that no matter what the number is that you're putting in, it should give you joy, it should give you fulfillment. And you have to learn to balance and like navigate how much of yourself you're willing to give because one of the things I, I jokingly say but I'm like also serious is like I, well, I'm done at 8 30 like at 8 30 like I'm no longer <laughs> you know a social worker um unless it's like an emergency um but it's just like putting that mindset on and what I always do at the end of the day even now while we're in you know COVID is like an hour of silence like I don't talk to anybody for an hour um, because that's important to like kind of cultivate that space for yourself and like leave certain things like behind but it's definitely it's not I I it, it would be misleading for me to say like oh yeah like I already figured it out like no like I'm still working on it like I'm yeah. still improving that aspect of self-care and doing different things um doing different things to kind of revitalize and revamp it um, there's never like you're never gonna figure out like what the right thing is and it's just constantly having to be open to change and like readjusting for your like benefit mm -hmm. thinking about Vista and kind of how it's it's presented to to the people that volunteer the people that are interested about volunteering and serving it's presented as this thing where it's like you take on that role like you are a vista and it's supposed to be like 24 7 technically you're like never off duty as a vista um talking like hearing you speak about setting boundaries and like taking that time to recharge how do you feel about the way that's presented to people mm -hmm. that serve as a vista <laughs> so i would i would say it's um I'm just gonna say, and I think it's indicative of just we have a a capitalist system, and again, it it goes on to that like your value is determined by how much output you can generate. Um, so when it comes to like your Vista twenty four seven, um, I believe it and I don't believe it. Right, like at a certain point, I'm I'm not 
a vista just because i'm a vista doesn't mean that someone's time is like a, it's not a free all it's not it's like my it's not a time grab um i think that it, it can lead to some if you're somebody who just takes that like very seriously and you internalize that of course like 100 percent, you're going to burn out um you're going to make yourself available every day at any possible moment um regardless of that cost to you at the same time i would say that it's something that i took with like a grain of salt because like when the work is done the work is done um, and at the same time, I'm the type of person, and I've I've learned this. If it's if it's not in the position description, if it's not on the vet, then I'm not doing it. Um, and I think we focus a lot on appeasing people who are our superiors, not really our superiors. Like it's like a title, um, and and you shouldn't you shouldn't operate like that. Like it's and it is at the same time like taking it seriously it's like it is a job but it's like think about jobs right like they will replace you at any moment everyone is easily replaced anybody could take on your work at any you know possible time that makes sense to them um and even like in operating like in that mindset right like sometimes you're going to take it seriously sometimes you're going to realize yo this isn't the space for me and then you start to respond accordingly like when this isn't the space for you whether that's like being disengaged showing up late and it's just being honest with yourself why are you reacting the way that you're reacting um if this is something that hasn't happened before or if it's something that has happened before like think about what was that experience like um I think when it comes to being a VISTA, it should be viewed in the same way of like, when you're an intern, there's a certain level of pride that you take in being an intern for this organization. Um, and at the same time, like when the work is done, the work is done, you are your own entity. Like nobody has ownership over your thoughts. No one has ownership of any of the intellectual property that you've created. Um, and you should come away with that like, feeling a sense of self-assuredness and confidence that I think you don't get and just proclaiming that you're a Vista mm. because people often see Vistas as just like either like a helping hand and they don't pay attention to the that or they'll say things to you like you're supplemental um and it's like no like I am a professional that came along to do this work um so everybody comes with a different background um, and everyone comes with a different purpose. Some people's purpose might literally just be an education award, um, but you signed up for it and you should be respected as such as if it was any other job um, or any other role. But I, I don't believe that it's something that you should just, it's, it's, not, um, it's not in our DNA and it's, it's not epigenetic. It's literally just a title. Mm. Yeah. Do you um, feel like, I think a lot of people have had different experiences in trying to like help people at their organizations understand what they're doing. Do you feel like at your school um, that was something that you kind of held, had to help them understand what your role was and like how did people perceive it and how did you um, kind of stay strong with like knowing what you needed to do? While I think... There? I think like there's only so much that you can tell people. It's like with any yeah. situation, like 
you can lead a horse to water, but it doesn't mean that they'll drink it. Um, and people, like, you can tell someone what your role is, what you're there to do, um, and they still might not respect and honor that. And that's one of the things I've learned. Like, people can read, people can comprehend, people can hear, but it doesn't mean that they listened, and it doesn't mean that they care. Like, people want what they want, and they'll find any way to to get that or, like, manipulate that um, into their desired outcome. Mm. So it's just, like, and in, in keeping strong with that, it's, like, you know what you need to do and what you shouldn't be doing, <laughs> and you can only control, you can only, like, work workload-wise, you can only control um, what's specific to the vet. If it's not, you know, and then and, and that's, like, a juggle, too, because if it's not, and then you just don't do it, then it's, you're viewed as insubordinate. Mm -hmm. But it's like, no, I'm not. Am I really being insubordinate? No, because it's not in the vet. And I told you, how many times yeah. does someone have to tell you? Like it's in writing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's and that's what I mean when it comes to like just the lack of care, concern, um, and just it's overall just like manipulation. Like you want what you want. I told you this is what the vet says and you think that you keep you keep saying it and it's still not happening and it's still not happening because it's just not on the position like this is not what someone's role is it's not someone's role to supplement what someone else who is already working there doesn't want to do yeah. or doesn't find intriguing like we all signed up for something and I didn't sign up to do anybody else's work and I think mm -hmm. that's the mindset that isn't just important in being a VISTA, it is a mindset that's important in the work that you do. It is one thing if you don't have the capacity, but still, it's just like, don't put yourself in a position to be burned out doing work that is like not fulfilling or not specific to, you know, what you're there to do, what your background is. Um, and some people like can probably argue, well, like what if it's a smaller organization? That's a little bit different if it's spread across like the board that everyone is doing something a little bit like outside of their role. Um, but with being a VIS, I think I'm more of like a stickler for compliance because I'm like, mm, <laughs> this is government <laughs> money. Like you kind of have to do what the vet says and what you agreed to do and at any point if you chose to not read it like that's not my problem that's your own personal problem um you know so yeah i i definitely feel like there there are certain things under our control especially like going into it we're very much mm -hmm. in control of like what project we choose to work on um, you had mentioned that's what drew you to Vista was very like project based. What else were you like specifically looking for out of the year? Like what kind of goals or intentions did you come into the year wanting to either like learn things you wanted to learn things you wanted to practice? Um, I think for me, it was like things that I wanted to practice. It wasn't my first time like working in a school. Um, and it wasn't my first time doing partnerships work. Um, or even like, it wasn't my first time like doing grant writing. Um, it was like not my first time doing like any of those things. I think one of the things that I looked forward to was just coming onto a team that was about 
serving youth, um, but also just like serving like the a different community like outside of like where I grew up, but definitely a community that I spent a lot of time in like as a kid. Um, because one of my grandparents lived in like Johnson Homes that wasn't far from the school. So it was I wasn't unfamiliar with the area. Um, and definitely like in my line of like work, I always like to go like where the need actually is. Um, because like you can get a role, a social work role just about anywhere. Um, and it's just like, am I really needed here? <laughs> Mm. uh probably not well maybe but definitely it's 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 what attracted me was you know being able to do that kind of like macro and hopefully sometimes meso level work um with like-minded people and individuals and work with the community like that was like a really big aspect of like coming onto it that like excited me um, just engaging not just with like people who work in the schools, but also people who are coming into the schools and like in surrounding areas and like organizations at the benefit of the students. Now, did that happen in actuality? It's a mix. It's a toss up. Um, but it, it, I can't say that I didn't learn anything. Did um, having like support from FEND help at all in some of the relationships that you were building or um, partnerships you were trying to create as far as like giving you any like backup and advocating for you when things weren't getting done or is it still kind of one of those things where like if there's a, a systematic problem like it's gonna be difficult <laughs> I would say them. like oh god I'm for, I would say like no like I definitely feel like and that's just because the way someone, the way one person will relay a message mm. versus the way I would directly say a message are two different things because everyone has different communication styles. And it's like, you get it, like at the end of the day, like you get it in terms of the politics, like not wanting to upset um, a partner and you get it in a generational like aspect, like certain things like just don't happen. Um, but what I did learn from it was like, just say what you need to say professionally. Yeah. And so, sometimes like, that's what it comes down to. At least like, that's what it came down to for me. Like at, of, like, at the end of my service, like when I was just like, nah, it's a wrap. <laughs> like you gotta know, <laughs> like you have to personally know like when it's time to go. Um, and even though like when you're trying to like finish out a year and like it's important, one of the things that I've learned is when the support isn't there, when the structure isn't there, when the professionalism on the superior's part, like, is not there, you got to learn to, um, you know, just let someone know, like, I'm not the one, and yeah. you let them know in a professional way, and in, in an upfront way, like, no sugarcoating, and you have to, like, move on from that, and it's not going to be easy, like, there's definitely no fun in it, um, it might hurt, <laughs> you know, yeah. to, to have to quit, but it's something that you just have to learn to do to, like, kind of just protect your energy, protect your inner peace, and um, overall, like, protect your longevity, like, in this career. Um, definitely, I'm someone who I feel like I don't, I don't need to be friends for, like, work to happen. I just, like, need us to be cordial and to be, like, 
like-minded and on board with what the goals and objectives are. And when the goals and objectives aren't clear and aren't there and communication isn't consistent, and when communication, communication um, and access is reliant upon how someone feels about you, mm-hmm. then it's just like, so I'm not going to do a good job whether I wanted to or not. Like, it's very much a, uh, you know, punished if you do, punished if you don't. Um, and you have to decide, like, which pill are you going to swallow and just move on from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely can say, too, like, it's difficult. It's difficult probably, like, on fence and to, like, advocate and, like, they're not in the school site or, like, any site, yeah. like, every day. Um, and when it comes to, like, mediation, it's not something that should be done where it's, like, well, I'm going to go talk to this person and not, like, in the same room because it's it's social desirability right like when you Mm -hmm. talk like somebody is going to say what is the most socially desirable thing um if they feel like they're in trouble and it's also like being like upfront with yourself about like what you did like or what you do and it's like yeah and if you're upfront with that then like you know why you do what you do and that's the only thing that you can control. You can't control someone else's reactions or what they choose to say and like not say at the moment <laughs> when it's time for mediation. Even if you, uh, like in my case, like it didn't even really get to that point because then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to think about who you are. And it's it's just like, okay, if mediation wasn't going to happen and, you know, knowing myself and like, I would have just waited until mediation (laughs) happened like every day and, you know, until something was done. Um, And you have to like, just take that, you know, staunch stance because if HR wasn't like a working function, like say if this wasn't a visceral and this was a job and HR wasn't doing like what you needed to happen or their HR's efforts rather didn't change anything because they can't control a person where does that leave you like you have to be comfortable to know that you did the best that you could and sometimes your best doesn't look where you want it how you want it to look like across the board from place to place but it's like it's just a role (laughs) you know move on it's just a role it's it's not going to kill you um and I know that when we're younger it seems incredibly daunting but someone had um one of the the counselor, Miss James, what she said to me, she was like, it's not the end of your career. It's mm-hmm. the start of your career. It's okay, uh, you know, to move on. It's okay that, like, it is what it is. Um, just move on from it. And you take a lot of lessons. I've definitely learned, like, what the system is like. Um, and at the same time, in understanding that, then it's just like, so everything is inherently flawed. <laughs> and what do you do with that? <laughs> That's like the next yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a lot of like self-awareness that kind of needs to go on. Do you think building that self-awareness and then also just like awareness of the institution wherever you're serving is really mm. necessary. Key. Yeah, yeah it's mm-hmm. vital. <laughs> it, is, it is vital. It's vital because it, it's constant ebbs and flows, right? Because you have to think about how you navigate a space in a system. 
versus like the people you're serving and how they're navigating a system and how do you take all of that in like some people would probably say well like rain it it is just it is what it is you know i don't understand why you're so upset about it and it's like what do you mean like how how can you i think the question i'm often asking people is how can you not be upset that this is what the system is and this is what's perpetuated in a system um, and this is what we, we, and I say we, cause we all are responsible for it as we work in these systems. This is what we allow. Like you continuously allow people that you're supposed to help be, um, disrespected, unanswered, ignored, um, which, and then at this, on the same side, you know, of that coin, have the audacity to critique and question um, why they don't want to show up. It's like, because you made it this way. Not only does it operate, the system operates as it was designed, you also allowed it to be this way. Right? Like, one thing that I did learn, like, no matter how, no matter how, like, no matter how much makeup you put on a pig, it's still a pig. (laughs) It's like, no matter how you... Then I've learned that as like a social worker, like, no, listen, no matter how I dress this up, no matter how many partnerships you bring in to kind of offset and mitigate adverse effects, like it's still a really adverse system. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that is necessary in coming into this work because it allows you, I don't like the word lower your expectations because that's something really messed up and it affects the people that you're there to support and and service and and assist based on what they say that their needs are um it it also yields you to just like not be your best so you're just about to do any any damn thing Mm. and expect Mm. people to be satisfied with it and expect to be thanked or given you know an accolade for something that is truly mediocre that's another issue that i find i find that many people in our systems get complacent um are all too comfortable and intense in defending mediocrity um and that any type of change that is different from that is not widely accepted um so i think you know self-awareness you have to you have to constantly be aware of like what are your strengths and what are your challenges and, and deficits and, and weaknesses? And you have to address those things. Like you have to address those deficits you have. You have to address your implicit bias if, you, if you're going to genuinely do this work for the long haul. Otherwise, you're going to hurt like a lot of people. And you have to be comfortable with standing up <laughs> and, and, and challenging things within that system that are that are inherently harmful and directly harmful to the people that we're servicing and and that means like you're not going to be um everyone's friend but even like that concept that weaponization of that word friend mm. being fr- a friend or being friendly with someone isn't a free-for-all for you to do just anything um if anything i would say a friend that does not critique you isn't really your friend mm. um so you have to be open to, to critique, um, critique that is solution driven, but that also has some value in it because sometimes people just like to talk to talk, um, to get under your skin. 
And at the same time, you have to be willing to do a lot of critical self-work that will improve you and like thinking about on not even just like the practice of like the capacity building work, but like how you actually speak to people, like the vocabulary that you use, um, especially like we, we get caught up in our degrees and stuff and, and it's like, no, no one, no one cares about like your jargon. No one cares about um, the, the, the modality. Like, yeah, you can say these things all that you want, but if you can't explain it to someone in a way that they'll understand, like, what did you really learn? You learned how to be elitist. You really didn't learn how to engage and help people. Yeah. How do you, um, I, I feel like uh, in this field and you hear from a lot of people who are burnt out um, and they have a lot of like, a lot of these feelings that are, are coming from the fact that these systems aren't working. Um, how do you like, how did you navigate those and not get burnt out yourself by all of those, those kinds of comments or opinions while you're trying um, to do the work that you want to do and like as a vista mm -hmm. i think like as of so as a hold on one second um i've been burnt out before mm -hmm. in my time like as a social work student um and working and like you learn what this the signs and symptoms are once you've experienced it um but i think that in doing the work as the VISTA, like when it comes to the comments, it's a lot of co constantly like reminding yourself like who you are. And sometimes it, it ultimately gets to you. Like that's another thing you have to own up to. Like ultimately it will get to you. You're human, you're a person, it's okay. Um, but it's a lot of like, then you have to like sit down and take a list of like, what actually like have you been able to do? And what have you been able to you know, pull off, like, in spite of your circumstances at your workplace and in spite of the system, right? Um, so it's, it's a lot of that. And, like, sometimes you have to just chalk it up for, like, this is the best that I was able to do here. Um, and I think that one of the things that, like, this is, like, have to learn, too, like, it is, like, you're not going to know everything. Uh, and that was something that I've learned, not even just like as an intern, but like from having the pleasure of working with interns is that you come to learn, you're coming to learn. It's not just about what you're going to give to a site, what you're going to give to a community, what you're going to give to an organization. Um, it's what did you take away from it? Like, did you get a new skill? Um, did you figure out what you wanted to do and didn't want to do? Um, I would say you learn what works, what doesn't work, right? Um, you learn a little bit more about office politics and what that means from one organization to the next. Um, definitely, you know, for me, had learned like I had the fortune of working in a lot of healthy work environments. Mm to the point where it's like you like my professors always used to say like you'll you'll learn what bad management is uh, you'll learn what good management is once you've had bad management mm -hmm. um 
And when it hits you, it's just like, well, (laughs) you know, Um, but you also see that there is a lot of like thriving in spite of things. Um, You know, whether you have good management or bad management, you, you learn, like one of the things that I've taken away um, from, not just from my experience, you know, as a Vista, but just even like, like with respect to like what I learned from working like in like Strawberry Mansion, but just even attending community events or like events that partners were having um, and just like having conversations with people. Um, you start to, as somebody who like didn't grow up in that area, um, you, you see and you understand that communities and its people are successful and they thrive in spite of everything not because of the programs that we have or the policies while they're very helpful like some of them can some of them can be very helpful and that's usually the places that keep the community in mind and like keep community input in mind um and not just in mind but also in action Mm -hmm. are usually the ones that you know are are thriving um but the a community itself, like the, the neighborhood block captain um, and the, that type of following or, or like organizations that spring up from a community just banding together and just deciding, you know what, like I'm going to handle this on my own um, mm-hmm. is, are definitely like in just indicative of like they thrive because they want to thrive and not because of the handouts that we give. Mm-hmm. and it, it's also indicative of the fact that like we're not doing enough yeah that people have to do it themselves mm-hmm. hearing you talk about kind of like the journey of it right rather than like the end kind of goal of something um what in your journey as like a vista or even just like your journey before what uh what kind of like propels you forward onto your next step of your journey um so as I'm pursuing my next step (laughs) I think one thing that I've taken away um you know like in just in saying what I just said about like people being successful and thriving in spite of um like it's it's the individual and group impacts that you have that not you but I have considered um and that I'm actively like working in and just being in that space and figuring out like what that looks like um because it's it's like this old pro it's like an old Haitian proverb that like when the when does the roach become the chicken? It, it's like the roach, once it enters the belly of the chicken, it is the chicken. And it's kind of the same way when we go into these systems thinking that we're going to dismantle and change things as if the system is flawed. And even I'm like learning to stop saying like the system's fundamentally flawed. The system is moralistically and humanistically flawed, but it's designed exactly how it was engineered to operate and that took like a lot of learning and and still am learning and and relearning um and putting myself in a position to say like then what is what is the most important like the most important then would be to 
not just amplify the voices, but kind of like lift up individuals and, and families and, and groups um, so that they can continue on. Because it's like, if we're looking for real transformative change, like we would have to gut out everything, which is still, uh, we, we would have to gut out everything, but we would still find that we're left with all these issues that are indicative of white supremacy. And, and it's understanding that white supremacy is not just racism, it's sexism, transphobia, homophobia, um, fat phobia, it's being, it's classism and, and elitism. Um, and we would still be left with that. Mm. And then from understanding that, it's figuring out, okay, and now that I know, not just know that, because you can know many things, but now that I've understood that, and now that I've internalized that, it's like figuring out what can you do next um, to, to, I don't even want to say prepare people, because like people are, people are indoctrinated in their understanding based on like their position in the world. Um, and it's just like just assisting people with navigating that space and it's from one space to the next if you want to go on to you know like just from working in adult education like if you want to go on to college and like grad school and all that stuff I want to show you different pathways that this is very much attainable um mm. there's many people who look and dress like you like in these spaces like this space is very much yours um and taking ownership I don't want to say like ownership comfortability and ownership because one of the things that I did learn sometimes people don't access things because they feel like it's not for them because they mm -hmm. haven't been you know shown that it is for them now structurally that those, those are two different things because systemically it will work against them but um showing them that they like very much belong there in spite of like practices and like what is said um basically is where I move forward in this work because like when we think of like moving on we're moving on it's like you're over and done with uh and you become something new and different and you kind of you know try to forget what happened but it's just like no like move forward like it's a let it go <laughs> move forward it wasn't for you just move forward keep it pushing mm -hmm. um it's definitely not a it's a it's a marathon I'm not trying to sound cliche but it is like a marathon and even when I think of all the amazing like black and hispanic um women and women and just people from other um different like social minority groups that I've met who are thriving in this field many of them didn't like hit the what they perceive to be the height of their career until their late 40s and early 50s mm -hmm. You know, so it's just something you have to like keep doing and you have to do like all levels of the work and have an understanding. But I think that it's important to not forget because it's really easy to forget like where you were when you were 20 or where you were like in your position, like at your last job. Mm -hmm. so. Like a constant process of like, I think something that you've been speaking to in a lot of different ways is just like also acknowledging and honoring all of these different things and, and their place in, in your process and in your journey. And yeah, just like letting these things all exist at the same time.
But, um, Sarah, I think that's all my questions. Do you have any more? Yeah, I thought we would just end on like a creative kind of one, like summing it up. So Rain, if you, your time as a Vista, if you took that kind of like energy and you put it into, um, since we're talking about like journeys, if you put it into like a mode of transportation or like how to get around and you, there's so many different ways of like how to get to point A to point B, right? Like what would it be? <laughs> what kind of transportation would it be? Or like mode of getting somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> ooh. <laughs> I, ooh. I would say, I would say it would be like a SEPTA trolley. <laughs> like not even a bus. This <laughs> is SEPTA trolley. You know, it broke down because the electricity went out. <laughs> pre-COVID you guys sit there and you went the lights yeah the electricity went out underground so you're stuck there for a little bit <laughs> <laughs> then it revs up again and you stuck for a little bit <laughs> then you get some traction going and hey now you're stuck you know on the streets <laughs> but you're not underground and then at some point a new bus just comes and picks you up and it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> and then you get where you need to go. <laughs> yes, and then you get where you need to be because you can finally just get off. <laughs> and call an Uber. <laughs> it's such a specific experience. <laughs> but like that's, I'm really good with the metaphors. That's like the best way to explain what it was. It was definitely a uh, trolley ride. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dang. That did Sarah, not come on time. <laughs> um, Sarah, do you have an answer for your year? Uh, I'm trying to think of of one and like all of the different. Um, maybe maybe like a bike of like, I think similar to kind of what what you were talking about, Rain, of like a lot of stops and goes, like, and a lot of bumps and a lot of things that you can't see, but like you're still biking and sometimes you might fall <laughs> um but I think that's something that like you come prepared to know is that there's going to be a lot of different things happening because you're the only one like controlling this bike and so like you got to get through it the way that you do you know um, makes sense <laughs> what about you Sarah yeah, I was going to say, like, maybe roller skates or something. <laughs> like, not looking coordinated at all most of the time and just kind of, like, potentially falling down. Um, and then sometimes you just, like, trying to go up, like, a hill on roller skates is so, so hard. And then other times you might have, like, a nice little hill that kind of propels you forward. Um but definitely like a workout and you feel like you're like building muscle, you're like doing something, you're practicing or gaining something from it. So yeah. Yeah. Definitely not a, like not an Uber though, not a car. <laughs> the Uber's the end. <laughs> the Uber's the end. <laughs> Uber is the end of it. <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, thank you so much again, Rain, for, for joining. No problem. Thanks for uh, having me. <laughs> yeah. Service stories.
a podcast created by volunteers about volunteers. <laughs>